How's it going, folks? My name is Dave Jordan, and welcome to episode three of the Active Minds podcast, which aims to open up honest conversations on our mental health, celebrate stories of people's resilience and growth through dark times, as well as to explore and share the things that help us with healing, positive change, and happiness. My third guest on the podcast is a BAFTA award winning TV presenter, Sony award winning radio DJ, a renowned fire chef, and a best selling author. Christian Stevenson has worked alongside the who's who of the action sports world and documented the industry's development over the last three decades. Christian's positive energy and larger-than-life character has been his greatest asset throughout his career, attracting countless opportunities as well as allowing him to adapt and reinvent himself when the times are called for it. Being a real grafter and a genuinely lovely man has also definitely helped. Behind the larger-than-life front that has served him so well lies a sensitive soul, and during our interview, Christian opens up about his own turbulent childhood, divorce, the reality of being a single dad to three boys, and how opening up and showing his vulnerability has helped him with navigating life's ups and downs. I hope you enjoy it. Christian, thank you for coming on the Active Minds podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave Jordan. Well, after our technical trials and tribulations, we're, I, th- I think we're good. I think we're good to go. Did you say trials and tribulations? You're trying to sound all kind of wise and stuff right now. I'll, I'll give you guys some perspective on how wise this man is. I try to stump David. David's got three daughters. <laughs> I got three sons. We're at the playgrounds outside of Brighton. And I tell David my, my little story. Hey, David, you know, when you have a son, you have to worry about one dick. When you have daughters, you have to worry about all the dicks. So Dave responds, yeah, but you're going to have a house full of wankers someday. And I'm like, touche Dave Jordan. And I bowed and I said, I will never try to diss thee again. And thankfully, your sons and my daughters have never met. (laughs) Well, they met that one time and that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's keep it that way. (laughs) Sorry, bro. So listen, how have you been coping with uh, the madness that is lockdown? You and your boys, what's, we've gone, what's been happening? We've gone nocturnal, so we've seen the sunrise most mornings. Uh, it's weird. Three teenage boys. I mean, if I was a teenager, I wouldn't want to go to sleep. I'd stay up all night. Um, and that's what my sons are doing, just staying up all night, uh, apart from Noah. He, he's, he goes to bed early. And the problem is he lives in the living room. So we almost like kind of self-isolated in our own rooms, in our own homes, which was not fun. So he went back to his mom. So it's, uh, I went from three boys pre-lockdown for a couple months down to two boys. Now I'm just down to one boy and a dog. So, uh, yeah, it's just a little bit easier. Otherwise you're cooking like 10 times a day for three teenagers, you know? Yeah. And how are they coping with it all? Frazier looks like Hugh Hefner. He's got the toenails that go out to here. He's got the fingernails going out to here. He hasn't had a haircut in four months. Uh, he smells of heinosity. Oh, it's, it, I mean, but he's like top three in Europe on shell shockers, whatever that game is. He's getting 50 live streams a session, man. My son's awesome at shell shockers. I'm so proud. <laughs> and how, how does that tie in with uh, with this school curriculum? That's gone out the window, has it? You know, a friend of mine asked me about. Um, he said, "Christian, how's your homeschooling going?" And I'm like, 
homeschooling? <laughs> We're supposed to be doing that? I mean, I think uh, three or four times a day, I walk in there. Have you done your schoolwork? Have you checked your emails from the teachers? You know, and oh no, Dad, I'll do it in a bit. I'll do it in a bit. But he's in there. Doosh, 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 doosh. You know, and then I come up for the fourth time. Oh, I'm gonna do it right now, Dad. And I'm like. Why don't you just do it? So I don't have to keep asking and getting this kind of animosity between you and me. Let's live in a better life. Just get it done. Then you can play. Work, play. But it's always play, play, play. A little bit of work. Continue playing. Don't go to sleep. Then be grumpy the next day because you haven't gone to sleep. Seriously, that kid, and I'm not even kidding you, during lockdown has done 10 all-nighters. And I told him, I get it. You know, I'd want to play games all night too. But when you do the all-nighter, you don't just harm you, you harm me because I got to deal with your grumpy ass. And I don't want to deal with grumpy ass 13-year-olds. It's tough. It's tough going, isn't it? Try- and, and trying to work yourself, <laughs> I guess, do your stuff in between yeah. when you're trying to manage them and manage what he's supposed to be doing. Well, because you're having to work from home, you know, so you don't have that kind of, you don't get the respite. Respite? Is that how, you, how do you guys say respite over here? I'd say respite, but I wouldn't, yeah. Respite. You don't get any because you got to kind of feed them all the time. And here's the problem when kids go into lockdown nocturnal wise. I get up early because I got to start getting deliveries. I start cooking all my stuff for all the things I'm doing and campaigns. So I've already cooked like three meals before noon. That's when they want breakfast. So I've already done three meals, at least two. And now I got to do breakfast. Then I got to do lunch at dinner time. Then he wants dinner around nine, 10 at night. Then a snack about one in the morning. Mm-hmm. So it's two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, eight, seven times, seven. <laughs> I'm glad I don't speak finger. Um, seven times of cooking. I'll be cooking. That sucks. You know how many times I clean that kitchen, dude? Mm-hmm. It sucks. So anyway, uh, I'm trying to get to a better place. <laughs> and how's it, how's it affected your work and stuff? You've been able to continue from home. Dave, I had my pretty much a lot of my salary wiped off, you know, because I do festivals. Yeah. And we can yeah. trade a lot of, we can trade, we can turn over a lot of money in a weekend. We spend a lot of money to be there because, you know, we are an expensive unit, but we can do really well on two festivals and that kind of helps us out, you know, and it pays the rent, you know, rent's like 500 pounds a month for my food truck. You know, it's expensive running a food mm-hmm. truck that's only going out five times a year. So that was tough. Luckily, I was able to adapt through social media. I was getting disillusioned with social media. I was just doing it because it was a job. You know, every now and then it felt right, felt real. And then I was, just, but other than that, I just didn't want to do my posts. I didn't want to do stories on Instagram. For some reason, when lockdown happened, I wanted to just be goofy and make people laugh. And, you know, I've always been a bit of a entertainer like our Ed Lee's and our Tim Warwoods, you know, and John O'Verdes, you know, these are men that just love to entertain people, but I've been doing it my whole life, you know, with, with TV. I think I've produced about 3000 hours of network television and presented, and I've done about 4,000 hours of national radio. So I've done a lot of content. So now I'm going into the new media, but it's so full on new media. You got to, so I just was like, I don't really want to post. Then lockdown happened. I was like, I don't know. I I think I just thought people might need some help. But you've you've built up a huge audience already. I mean, you've you've 180,000. On your YouTube, on YouTube you? and, yeah. and Instagram went crazy for me. I kind of slept on YouTube. I got 300,000 across all the platforms. And then all my stuff on Jamie Oliver's channel, we're up to like over 5 million. So we've got a pretty big, you know, footprint and footfall. Uh, but f- 
once lockdown hit, I just started going nuts on Instagram stories, just trying to share my life, share life in lockdown with three teenage boys, you know, just share all the goofiness and stuff. And because I was so active and it felt it was it was just me being goofball, dorkwad, number one, they put me crazy in the algorithm. So I got all these hits and comments. And next, you know, I'm getting these maze, amazing messages for people that are going through some pretty tough times. I've had a dad message me saying, you know, I've had a tough time talking to my wife for two days. I couldn't talk to my kids for two days. I've been in a really bad mood. I came across your Instagram stories and you put a smile on my face. You made me, you laugh again. And I just kind of, I turned a corner. You helped me turn a corner. I spend the morning get with my coffee. There is not Guinness in here. And Dave, I'm sitting there just like reading like, you know, a good dozen to two dozen messages a morning. Like all these people, oh man, you, you've set me right. You, you, you know, just watching your honest dorkiness and just having fun with life and not worrying just made me realize I got to quit, you know, being all down in the dumps. So I cry for a good 20 minutes every morning, you know, just reading these messages, not all the time, but you know, I'm heck I'll cry if show Cole used to cry on the X factor. I'm a, I'm a You're sensitive. A crier. I am a sensitive sod, dude. Don't you get? Don't get the waterworks going right now, Dave. I'm the same. I'm the same. That's a good. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Thanks. So you've t- you've turned it into a, a well. You adapted and you turned it into a positive and a, a, a positive. That's actually now I'm able to earn a living. Uh, Asda asked me to do a live cook along, and then they asked for another one. So I've been taking over Asda's Instagram. Which I can't believe they let me do that. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's a juggernaut of a company to let me take over their social yeah. media. So I've been going on there doing these lives. We just shot a national uh, commercial forum, uh, like a little snippet for this kind of people cooking from home thing. I got two more to do. And then I, I did like four, no, I've done five NHS cook alongs. Um, Actually, Against Hunger, I've done two. So I've done a lot of charity work, which always feels good. And then we've turned our house into a production house. So Blue, my oldest son, who's 19, um, is a pretty good editor. So we started producing videos. And so I'm paying him. We've turned into a, a, a one-stop shop. We don't have to leave. We, didn't have to, we don't have to leave. I can just go in the backyard, Brilliant. cook some barbecue. Blue goes and edits. Our first production, Dave, was for Major League Baseball. <laughs> I, I was like, it, so Blue made some coin. He's empowered. His edit's looking good. And we're able to tick along, you know? So it's, it's not, I, I'm, I'm okay with this lockdown. Um, You've, I, you're, you're coping with it and just getting getting through it. I'm happy that the earth gets a breather. I'm, I'm, I feel horrible about all the people getting sick and people, you know, and the economics. But I just think the most important thing we have on this planet is the planet. So if we can give that planet a breather and just not consume as much and stay at home and get more of that family. I know it's hard on, on some on a lot of children and stuff, but my my neighbor said it best. Steven, retired builder. He said Steve my, Fest. Steve Fest. Steven is it's my the same adult, Steve. It's the same Steve. So I've been feeding him this whole thing. And he said to me, Christian, my parents lived in London during the Blitz. They had to hunker down. And when the bombs came 
and they couldn't get rations and food, but they still hid and did what was needed to be done to protect themselves from the enemy. We have an enemy we can't even see. And we kind of went into lockdown. We did, but we didn't go into harsh lockdown at the beginning. You know, we could have saved lives. Um, what do they say? 36,000? We re- or I forgot the number, that, but, you know, Boris, anyway, I don't want to get on my Boris bandwagon because I get pretty upset with him. But, you know, we, 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 we could have we could have like made up more of an effort to get involved at the beginning, but we didn't. And now, you know, everything's relaxing. Thing hasn't gone away. Um, so what do we do? Well, I'm gonna stay working from home and go on remote little trips where I'm still safe. And I'm okay with this. B- Frazier's loving this, man. He can't believe it. He doesn't have to go to school. He can play video games all day. Are you kidding me? 13 year olds were built for this, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from what you're describing there, this seems to be a common thread that runs throughout your career. The, the, you know, this incredible career of how, <laughs> you know, BAFTA Awards, Sony Awards, book deals, all the rest. That it, it seems that your ability to channel your, your fun and energy and you know, positive energy into everything you decide to do and the rest just follows. Some shit will fall into place. Ed, Ed Lee always said to me, my ability to adapt uh, is unprecedented. And I always said, dude, I looked at Madonna. I look at Madonna. You know, Madonna gave us all those great albums. You know, she gave us tracks like Borderline and, and Lucky Star and Into the Groove and Holiday. You know, she the, the pop queen who couldn't really sing, but she mm-hmm. did. And then, you know, Ray Light, you know, she starts working with William Orbit, you know, and she, she goes dance. And every five years, Madonna changes. So I said, I'm going to do a Madonna. <laughs> and that's what I did here at, during lockdown. I invoked the power of Madonna. Yeah. And you seem to do that a lot throughout your career. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you, this might be a bit woo-woo for you, but the law of attraction springs to mind. I mean, you've such a positive energy and outlook that from that, it attracts other opportunities and and you've had the you've had the ability to seize those opportunities yeah as they've come up my whole life you know when we got so if people aren't really familiar where we come from um i was a snowboard filmmaker for quite some time out of colorado Mm -hmm. so we made um odd men out day trippers uh still tripping and i remember getting uh we came over to london to try to find uh, you know a distribution deal and i ended up meeting people at sony and they said, hey, would you be interested in doing a music video for Jamiroquai? And I'm like, I've never shot a music video. I've never shot film before. You know, I've shot Super 8. We buy a film camera. We're making this movie. And next thing you know, I'm shooting and directing a music video for Jamiroquai with my two buddies, Jim and Jack. And it was that, you know, we just got to say yes and do it and, and figure it out as we go. Um, and that's, that's always been kind of my attitude, you know, may, figure it out. You know, you... If you say no, you don't get the chance. If you say yes and figure it out, you know, even if you don't have the skills, you better find them quick uh, because that'll give you your next shot. You know, they say people that are busy, you know, you say, man, I'm really lucky. I'm like, well, being busy brings luck. You know, remember I was watching um, Gary Booker from Poco Harum and Roger Daltrey and who and Peter Frampton. I know Madonna told me to quit name dropping, as did David Bowie, bless his heart, local boy, and from Beckenham. And 
Daltrey flipped out his ear after seeing his in-ear monitor because the guy's deaf anyway, after seeing in my generation. And he's like, he says, be lucky. That's the last thing he said to the crowd was be lucky. And I'm always like, yeah, I'm going to be lucky. But the busier I am, the luckier I seem to be. And, you know, that's it. Good work ethics. Yeah, you have a really strong work ethic. You're, you're a proper grafter. It's not just, uh, it's not just attracting opportunities. It's actually getting stuck in and doing the work. You, you've done that throughout your career. Yeah, man. I mean, we, I think we all have, Dave. I mean, we all come from this kind of action sports, that, that, that world. And, you know, you've done your gigs and stuff. And, you know, we've all, it's like you, we can't live that dream lifestyle of being a shredder our whole lives. So how do you adapt? And I, for, for some reason, that snowboard community are really good at it, you know? You, wa- you yeah. watch our guys and you're like, wow, Ed Lee's on Ski Sunday. Tim Woolworth's like, <laughs> you know, on BBC Two, you know, Gendel. Uh, they're, they're hosting huge events. Look at Matt Barr doing, you know, looking sideways, interviewing our favorite athletes in the world, you know. and Yeah, amazing. It's wonderful to, to watch the, the, your friends just adapting and growing and becoming more creative and entertaining and just – Oh, I love our friends. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think what I get from you though is I, you're a real optimist. No matter what what things are thrown up at you, that you'll I don't know. You look at it, try and look at it from a positive perspective, and from that, it it throws you forward. Whereas I think me, you know, the the, the rough times I've been through, I think I have a tendency to look at it more pessimistically. And, and that's why I reference the law of attraction. If you, if you focus on that side, on the, on the slightly negative side, that's what you'll attract and, and, and essentially manifest. Dave, I, I go there all the time, bro. Don't, don't think I don't. Uh, I can spiral. If I start thinking the negative thoughts, I, it spirals. And then I beat mm-hmm. myself up for it. My father, if I ever did wrong, which was very rarely because I was a pretty good kid, my really? dad, I, yeah, I mean – <laughs> I mean, I did, I was a bit of a hacker when I was like 13 to 18. So I was always, you know, hacking and freaking and cracking, doing all the kind of, I had an Apple IIe and my dad, I, I, I got caught doing some bad stuff digitally. And my dad said to me, all right, well, we're going to ground you, but you're just going to beat up yourself. And you're going to ground yourself, Christian. You know, my dad would always, he knew I would beat myself up more than he would have to punish me because really? I just felt the guilt, you know, of disappointing him. And disappointing myself. So I, w- I always, I have to watch myself so I don't spiral. Because I, I do. You know, if I have a really good weekend, bam, you know, the highs, the lows. And my mother's, my mother's bipolar. And I always worry about, you know, is that in me? You know, because I do have highs and lows. Yeah. Um, and I just, it's, I just try to, <laughs> I try to give the highs. So maybe that helps lift everybody else up. And by everybody else being lifted up with me, we all kind of grow together. We all kind of live together. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. I still have those times too, Dave, like you're talking about. Yeah, I think, I think most people do, but, but you know, a, lo- a lot of people don't talk about it. And, and that's what I'm trying to sort of help move, move on in, in this podcast I've started. But um, yeah, I, I think, I, I think it's, 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 a lot of it stems from, from childhood. I mean, you, you were brought up in... In Washington and, and Maryland. Yep. By, and, uh, b- with a lot of crazy divorces and kidnappings. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that. How, how, what happened there? 
Okay, so imagine having a dad who's from mid- the Midwest, Iowa. Uh, he was he, Navy boy, officer in the Navy, you know, bred from high school with ROTC program. He couldn't afford university, so he joins the Navy, becomes, you know, officer on deck uh, when they're picking up astronauts. So Gemini 11, he called the shots on deck to pick up, Japan, to pick up Gemini 11. Wow. Um, and then he meets the <laughs> – he meets – what, what do they call when the, the the beauty queen of Virginia Beach? My mom was the beauty queen. Okay. So she fell for the officer and the gentleman. And here's this crazy woman who was going to Studio 54 and doing all the disco dancing and, you know, would dress up as Wonder Woman and sit on men's laps at conventions. You know, you can see that side of me. And then you can yeah. see my dad, like, you know, the officer, the barbecue guy, you know, really thoughtful. And then this crazy mom who's a bit, who is bipolar. Um, and hopefully I got more of my dad with a little bit of zaniness from my mother. And, uh, they, they, they kind of fought a lot as kids and my mom ended up kidnapping me before my father twice. So I missed a lot of second grade. And then my dad found us at my grandma's house, um, months later and just threw us in a car. Oops. Sorry. Oh, sorry. You still there? Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, someone's trying you. to call me. It's the okay. guy who wants money for the the rent on my food truck. <laughs> okay. Ignore him. Ignore yeah, him. well, I'll call him after this. Um, yeah, so I, I ended up uh, living at my grandma's house when I was like eight years old and going to a new school system, and like all of a sudden I'm out, I'm away from that. So my dad found me, kidnapped us back, hit us on a farm for a while until we he got his lawyers ready to take us back into court, and uh, we, I had this massive custody battle. And then it happened again four years later. You know, I, um, I left my ex-wife and, oh, God, sorry. Um, the guy keeps calling me. Sorry. He, he wants his money for my food truck. <laughs> um, I apologize. I, I don't know how to do do not disturb on this. Um, anyway, I got, yeah, I, I was kidnapped by my father. And my father gave me the advice, you need to get your kids. They haven't gone to school for two to three years. You need to get them off your your ex-wife and get him back into the education system. So I did. Mm-hmm. And it was a crazy time. And it, and it was so stressful. It put me into the hospital uh, a lot. So I got, I went and got custody of the kids. They moved in with me. I got them back in the education system uh, back in 2016, 2015, 2016. And then my ex-wife uh, f- stole the endowment plan for the mortgage. Uh, which is our life savings. And she took it and spent it. And then my middle son decided to move back to his mom's because he didn't want to go to the school I had him in. And he goes, I'll go to the school near mom's. I promised dad. And I had him at 60% attendance record. He's now down to like 10 to 20 because mm-hmm. she doesn't make him go to school. So all of a sudden lost all my life savings. Kid moves out. I've already lost all my homes, you know, but I got my kids. I got my happiness. And then, um, uh, my skin broke out and I ended up getting adult eczema and I kept going to the, I went, I went to my local GP 12 times. I went private, you know, the steroids helped, but they weren't the real solution. I ended up going to a hospital and getting light therapy three times a week. Um, this is why you see me outside trying to get tanned because the sun is healing me. Yeah. Otherwise I want to pull my skin off. So this was all stress-related from what had happened. And I bet triggering loads of stuff from, from your childhood, I'd imagine. Yeah. I mean, I had to get a biopsy last summer. They really? cut a big yeah. part of my butt out. 
They cut my butt out. <laughs> um, and but you know now I'm, I got the right treatment. But I was I was in the, I was in the hospital three times a week, standing in a big tanning booth with you know a sock on my dick, like uh, you know red eye chili peppers and the little goggles and the visor, getting the best base tan. I tell you what, I went home for Christmas in Maryland. I looked awesome. I looked like this. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was all, I couldn't figure out what was wrong, but I realized it was stress. It was, you know, you imagine losing your life savings, you know, in one failed swoop, your kid goes out, he's, you're talking to the council workers, you know, three times a week, trying to look after his well-being and his, his education. Um, but he's not with you anymore. You know, these are, these were complex things going through and it just caused adult eczema. Um, but I'm a lot better now. I'm a much happier person. And I always find the happier I am, the healthier I am. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been through a divorce, as you know, and it's yeah, it's an incredibly sad. I'm sorry to hear that, time. by the way. Yeah, yeah, thanks. It's tough. It is tough. It's brutal, and and it's all about doing doing the best by the kids, isn't it? And making sure, yeah, as best you can that that they're being educated, that emotionally they're being looked after, and they're not making up their own. You know, you're not passing passing on your own stuff to them idiosyncrasies and your own kind of, you know, bad reactions to things and situations. Yeah. But you still do. You can't help it. And you try not to. And you just try to be a better person every time. Mm. How, how are you getting along? You all right? Yeah. It's been, it's been brutal as well. Getting <laughs> <laughs> Is that why you're that. doing this podcast? To kind of it is kill yourself? <laughs> That's exactly it. I wanted to ask if you, if you found the answer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just just wake up and play Holiday by Madonna, and uh, or play Borderline. Can I tell you one of my favorite? You, you know, you you do music. You're into music. Um, I used to do all the festivals, and this is where I came up with DJ Barbecue. I was just DJing festivals, you know, getting paid a day rate, and we were doing these cocktail bars at festival and camp festival. And a buddy of mine was in the big pink circus tent, and he would sell these really cool uh, Japanese drawing T-shirts. But it's also where all the spandex was and the dinosaur tails and all the fun stuff. And I got asked, would you want to do a DJ set in the shopping tent? And I was like, yeah, because I can play songs I wouldn't get to play in my cool stage, right? Even though I try not to play cool stuff, you know me. I get in there, Sunday kind of, you know, about – 12 or one in the afternoon, people are just shopping, you know, they're all hung over and, you know, buzz, uh, drug bedazzled, whatever. It's Sunday, last day of the festival. And I dropped Madonna's Borderline, which I've never played. You know, I had the 45 as a kid and all the people in their little booths just left their booths and just started skipping around the inside of the tent around all the, all, all the, you know, the vintage clothing stand, the spandex, uh, the full jumpsuits, the dinosaur tails. And they were just skipping around me. You know, I had the, I was DJing next to the, the, the cake and coffee and tea stand. And, um, and as they're all running around, you know, and skipping to borderline, the, the smiles on everybody's faces, like it was one of those moments where you can't ever repeat and then someone stole the cash box from the uh, – because <laughs> I distracted everybody. The bastards. <laughs> they stole the cash box from – because everybody was so into the moment. But hopefully they're still into that moment and they'll remember that moment and not the part where they stole the cash box from the, the coffee and cake place. I'm so sorry, coffee and cake place. 
music helps for sure. Oh, God, yeah. Hey, by the way, if you need a good album to soothe the soul, to hear someone else is going through despair but still has hope, uh, Car Seat Headrest, Teens of Denial. It is my album, my favorite album of the past five years. Don't ask Matt Barr. He doesn't like the way Will Toledo sings. Don't ask his opinion. But for me and my kids, my kids know every single word to that album. And now Teens of Denial. Teens of Denial. Teens of Denial. Guy from Leesburg, clever lyrics. He's so depressed and utter despair goes through the song, but then he just brings it out and gives you hope. It's like... It's the perfect – I stopped really caring about lyrics a while ago. You know, when you're a kid, you listen to lyrics, and then all of a sudden I'm 52 and I'm listening to lyrics again, you know? Yeah. And, and it feels good. You know, I'm just trying to get – oh, what do you say? Oh, that's really clever, you know? Um, it's like reading books, you know? It makes you smarter as long as it's not a Donald Trump book that you're reading or the poetry of Donald Trump, which I yeah. do have. Yeah, I bet you do. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, an interesting one. I, get your opinion on so i've been an american living in in the uk now what's your whole take on what the hell's gone on over there with black um, lives matter situation how that's yeah well i mean i i don't know if you know this about me but i'm kind of a, a bit of a keyboard warrior and social media warrior when it comes to social injustice and equality and i grew so th- luckily for me i grew up in gaithersburg maryland gaithersburg maryland i think 10 years ago was the most diversity in all of America. We've been in the top 10 forever. So I grew up multicultural. You know, my mom's first boyfriend after my father uh, and her divorce um, was Ron Jordan. He, he was black. Um, you know, my first girlfriend in high school was black. And um, I'd never looked at color. I always just looked at people. My best friends growing up were Vietnamese and, and, and African-Americans. I mean, I, I was very fortunate that I had this very inclusive you know, because race is taught. It's not, you know, it's not inbred. Um, no, absolutely. And, and my stepmom was uh, one of the head, she was one of the first Peace Corps volunteers in, in Africa. Then she went on to look after uh, the crises for the Peace Corps for five years. So she's well-traveled and she was very involved in, you know, in raising me. My parents are very, my dad was a very positive person. So he never allowed us to have guns. He never allowed us to say bad words. We weren't even allowed to say the word dumb or anything negative. He always called me good guy, my sister sunshine. My dad was all about positive reinforcement. He always taught me, Christian, say someone's name when you hear their name. You got to say it three times to, to, to remember it. You know, there's all these little things you can do to make people feel better around you and make yourself feel good. Um, so I lost, he was a really positive influence on you while, as you Whilst my up. mother was just miss guilt trip and crazy. So I, I try to remember all the good stuff dad taught me and try to remember all the fun stuff mom did, but also stay away from the negativity that she would bring because mm-hmm. she was good at that. And I still do bring it. And I, I got to catch myself. I watch myself and I have to stop myself. Anyway, I, I forgot where I was going with all that, Dave. I, I go, you know, I'm Mr. Captain Tangent. I apologize. That's all right. Yeah. You were, t- you were just telling me about your, your upbringing and um, how multicultural it was and what you were... Oops. Oh, sorry. That was my uh, microphone. I hope I didn't That's hurt right. you. I hope I didn't hurt you. Yeah. So I grew up super multicultural and... Um, uh, sorry. Oh. Oh. Hay fever. 
Whew. Oh dear. So, so no, I'm okay. I, I got shots for three years in this arm against all my hay fever. Because you can do that in America. I got a shot every Tuesday for three years. Fucking sucked, dude. Um, but it works. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, apart from right now, I got a bit of a sniffle and my eyes are all kind of, uh, you know, messed up from all the pollen. Anyway, so I grew up, you know, being taught it's all, you know, everything's good. We're all equal. And then to watch what's going on. So my roommate in college was Rodney Bryant. Rodney Bryant grew up in the poorest county in America, in America Hyde County. I think the average income when he was growing up was $2,000 a year. His brother and sister were the first two um, black children forcibly integrated into a white school. His grandfather was head of the NAACP over there in Hyde County, Carolina. So Rodney talking about pulled pork recipe. Rodney, uh, eight years ago, was awarded um, a Black Engineer of the Year, African American Engineer of the Year. It's probably before they were still calling it Black African American before they said it's just Black. And he won that award, smartest Black man in America. And I grew I I grew up with him, and he was my best friend growing up throughout university. Um, and I remember when Trump won the election, I went over to his house and, you know, we were so stoked Obama got in and then all of a sudden Obama's out and then it just swung so super right. But it does that. And I said, man, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. They, him and his wife looked at me and they go, we're used to this. You know, they, the Lord threw us a bone. <laughs> we got Obama for two years and now we're just kind of back to the norm where he's made it for some reason given the racists a voice where they think they can, because racism never went away. Just he, I think he made it acceptable to, I mean, it's never been acceptable, but he's tried to make it acceptable. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's pushed it now to the point where something monumental seems to be happening. You know, it's almost made his politics and his, the way he's handled the country, it's almost brought everything to a head where something's going to happen. Oh, man. I, I, something I, is happening. I got so many friends and family that vote for that dude, that, that fucker, that racist piece of just, and he's a shit businessman. I'm like, dude, he's a crap businessman. He's a sexist. He's xenophobic. He is just a horrible, horrible human. You guys are nice people. Oh, I look, I read, I listen to details and, you know, you're not reading all the right news, you know? And then the other one that gets to me is the Greta Thunberg people that just go because, oh, you know, I like my car. I'm going to go off on this young woman and diss her. I love looking for them, man. I love looking for them. I go, okay, let me figure this out. You, sir, you grumpy old white man who's probably my age has a problem with a young girl who cares about the environment. You, and who's got Asperger's? You've got a problem with that. Is it Asperger's or Asperger's? Asperger's. Asperger's. Okay. Um, so you have a problem with a young girl who cares about a clean planet. I'm just trying to understand your, your, the way you're just throwing out these crazy memes and being disrespectful to a, you know, a girl. And I just like to make it all obvious for them to see. But they never do. They don't see that that's being – sometimes they do. I'm, they're like – yeah, Christian, sorry, I like to drive my car and I like to do this. And But these are the same guys who are pro-Trump and pro-Brexit, you know? I remember my boys telling me, hey, Dad, um, Mom voted Brexit. And I go, you're shitting me. 
Your mother's father's from East Africa. Your mother's father was born in the Seychelles and grew up in Dar es Salaam. You know, you guys are so mixed race. It's incredible. And they go, yeah, we were quite upset because we want, you know, we want to live in Europe and work in Europe and have that, you know, that option. I go, of course. And I went to her. They go, don't tell mom. We said that. I go, okay. But I couldn't hold my breath. I go, um, why would you vote for Brexit to my ex-wife? She's like, well, you know, I just think it's the best way forward. I go, well, you got to quit reading the Daily Mail. And, you know, I go, your sons want to work and have an opportunity in Europe. And they go, she's like, well, they still can't. I go, no, no, you voted against that. That's exactly what that vote was to take that opportunity away from your sons. <sighs> and we've got that to come yet. You know, <laughs> that went away, didn't it, Dave? <laughs> oh, God, I can't. I can't cope. I don't think anyone can cope. Um. Yeah, so are you, you, I'm, I know you, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have voted for Brexit because you're a good man. Oh, Jesus, absolutely not. An, an Irish man voting for Brexit, you're joking me. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, can, I, can I get a passport for over there? I love Ireland. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, yeah, most people seem to be cashing in on it these days. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody in America is always either Irish or Scottish, which is really funny because England's a lot bigger and we're never from England. We always claim... Ireland or Scotland. And and most of us have origins in Germany. You know, we're just we're we're a melting pot. But we never claim, hey, where are you from? They, you know, someone's been born and raised in Lansing, Michigan. They never say Michigan. They go, oh, I'm Irish. <laughs> what is that? Why, why can't we just say where we're from? Why can't we do that? I don't know. I think there's a, <laughs> a romantic notion attached to the Celtic side, I think. There is. You're right. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. Yeah, because <laughs> you guys are cool. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. So, what's your? What you? You know, with the, there's so much change going on at the moment. With you know, with the, with Brexit, as we've talked about, with the whole lockdown, the whole COVID, and the Black Lives Matter stuff. You know, it all seems to be coming to a head. I mean, what, what yeah. the hell is going on? It's uh, yeah. Um, well, my, you know, I'm. My sons were down in Brighton, down your way this weekend, you know, peacefully protesting with, with their face masks. I had big talks with my two oldest sons and I'm glad, I, you know, I'm doing, I'm going to protest my own way. Um, and especially when I see all of those friends of mine putting all lives matter and I'm just like, oh, you so don't get it. Yeah. yeah. It's like interrupting Martin Luther King's, I had a dream speech and saying, I had a dream too. You want to hear my dream? Oh God, really, really? <laughs> um, oh, it just has to swing. So my, f I'm lucky. My parents are so um, caring and liberal and left. You know, my dad's like, "Look at me, Christian. I'm an old retired white guy. I'm like the perfect Republican." But he's a smart, caring human, a well-read man, mm -hmm. and you know, and he sh and I share those same qualities with him. You know, it's about looking after everybody. You know, if we suppress people, if we do this whole capitalistic system, it's like trying to get ahead of everybody. Why can't we all grow together and look after one another? You know, and that's that's how you rise, and and that involves education, and that's that's why there's these problems because uh, we were talking about Rodney before. Rodney, you know, came from the poorest county in Carolina. Now, he, I bought the book he told me about his county. And it said, the oppression that the blacks have, have faced in America is so 
insane. Like you think, oh, slavery is, you know, 400 years old or we've moved on from that. Well, the problem is you've come out of the slavery. You've, you've also come out of, you know, civil rights. I mean, first off, they just want civil rights. Just be civil to us. Now they just want to matter. You know, we all want to matter. The bare minimum matter. Um, so you go civil rights there and then, wait, where, I, I just lost my train of thought. Where were we going, Dave? Uh, I, I had it. What were we just talking about? We were talking about um, uh, what were we talking about? Oh my god, I had a really good train of thought, man. It was going, man. I I, I got a quick one on my tangents, Dave. Sorry, <laughs> the coffee hasn't kicked in. Oh, here it is. I got it. Hyde County. So you're getting taxed as uh, you know, coming out of um, civil rights. You're getting and and throughout civil rights, you're paying towards the white man's facilities, right? You're paying towards police, schools, um, fire departments, police departments. But in the black community, you're not getting any of those benefits because they're, you have to pay your tax, but they're not delivering the services. So the black community is getting taxed double because they have to come up with their own money, south side of the tracks, to pay for their church, which is also the school, which is also their town hall, where their community. So they're having to come up with the money to pay the government and then pay for their own way of lifting themselves up. So they're constantly being oppressed. You can, and, and, and that's why white privilege is so prevalent. You know, when you see these comments from people and you're like, that sounds about white, you know? And my friends are going, they repeat, they take it off their thing. I'm like, dude, you sound white. You got white privilege. You got to recognize that, you know, you might not think you're racist, but there's some in there. And as long there, as you there, can recognize that you'll be better. Yeah, and I think that's what it's opened up, hasn't it? That 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 there is this undercurrent that that has never gone away. Um, I mean, I, I it really reminds me of I, I've only experienced discrimination once um, when I was eighteen, and I came over. It's because you're Irish, dude. Of course, you're going to experience it, man. I'm just yeah. kidding. I just wanted to do a joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. It was exact exactly that. It was what was it, 1986, and I, I was in Scotland doing interviews for for university, and it was a time of the troubles up north. And two two undercover uh, British agents got dragged out of their cars and were killed, murdered by by Catholics. And and when I was on the train, these Scottish pro- Protestants heard my accent, and they they were going to kick the shit out of me because of my religion and my my accent. And it was, it's the only time I've ever experienced it, but I was terrified. Religious and, prosecution, man. I mean, and yeah, you, think, but you think you'd be safe. I never experienced it after. I went to university in London. But I remember talking to my uncles who were in London in the 50s and 60s. And they, that's what they had to contend with. Sure. They, were, they were prejudiced in, in jobs and in where they could stay, where the, what they could do. And, and to think that for a black person or an <laughs> yeah. Asian person, that this is ongoing and everything you do. It's the, it's the norm. And yeah. you, you experienced it once. Then you talk to your uncles. They experienced it their whole lives. But imagine, you know, being someone of color. Mm. But then it, kept, then it became trendy to be Irish, sort of, in the, <laughs> in the 90s. It did. My uncles had a completely different experience. Um, and. I had a fantastic time in England. England's <laughs> been very good to me. Um, it's but been I mean, good to me too. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody yeah. talks funny over here. They do, don't they? 
You talk funny too, man. Everybody talks funny. <laughs> All my kids talk funny. Everybody's got a funny accent in this country. I love living in, imagine living in America. Everybody would talk the exact same way as me. It'd be so boring. <laughs> sorry, I interrupted you, man. I'm sorry. No, no, but it's, it's, um, it's hard enough to live and get by and get through life. Everything that life throws at you, divorces, fucking career stuff, uh, recessions, yeah, getting through all that stuff. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? I've been brought to my knees by some of that stuff. And, and yet I'm a white, privileged, middle-class Irish man who's, ha- who's, who's had it all. You know, I went, to, I went to university. So to have all that stacked um, against you, um, it, it's incredibly difficult, isn't it? I mean, to, yeah. to, to, to get by and get through that. Imagine having all that and then being, you know, a person of color uh, with the same things that we've dealt with. And it's just like, it compounds it. It just, you don't get a fair shot. You, you don't, you, it's so hard to, to rise. And I keep seeing things recently, people posting, you know, you know, we just need to move on. You know, let's just forget about the past. You can't forget about the past. You have to acknowledge the past so you can move forward and deal mm-hmm. with the past. But you don't forget about it. That's just saying, oh, let's pretend slavery never happened. Come on, man. It's not just about slavery. It's the, it's the nonstop oppression. And capitalism at the end of the day, you know, it's about, you know, the economy. It's not about the people. It's about the economy. Thinking that's the benchmark for happiness. And that's not. It's just happiness is the benchmark for happiness. Yeah. And, and that whole capitalist system uh, I don't think is serving us anymore. Is that this consumption and growth grow to be happy once, once we've we've our economy's grown to this level and we're earning this, we'll be, we'll be happier. But it feels like all of this has come to a head and saying, "Look, you've got this wrong. Your how you're living is wrong. Your your morals and how you're tying your happiness into into buying shite." That's um, it. Just go go to go to Denmark. The, the Danish have got it. You know, they've got, they've got a really high happiness, you know, thing. And it's, it's a very social country. And I keep bringing that up to my American friends. Like, oh, socialism doesn't work. I'm like, I live in Europe. We're pretty social over here. You guys are pretty social. You, you know, police force, fire department, waterworks, roadworks, you know, even buying healthcare is social because you have to buy into a healthcare plan. So why not just have your tax dollars pay for a nationalized healthcare plan? So everybody's looked after, you know, there's, these are, but the Americans don't, they just think social is a bad word. And it was only when I left America that I realized how free I was. And that was in Germany in 1991. I'm walking around with a can of beer. You can't leave your house with a can of beer in America. I'm walking to a lake. Everybody's getting butt naked by a lake in the middle of Augsburg. <laughs> this, this to me is freedom. You know, going to Portugal and working in bars and seeing, you know, the bit more relaxed, being on a, on a mountain, being responsible for me, you know, they talk about the police state in America and that's been happening for quite some time. And they keep talking about their freedom. And I'm like, you ain't free. And I'm sorry to say that. I only felt free when I left my home. Really? Wow. I love it over here. Home is where your heart is, man. And you love, you love living in the I UK. Love, I love the UK. Charles Manson said that. <laughs> he wrote some good music, man. Have you read the Ch- the Charles Manson family album? I think Evan Dando from Levenheads covered some of his songs. You know, he had some good sentiments. Otherwise, none of them would have, you know, followed him. 
<laughs> I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> You've stumped me. You've stumped me. <laughs> so listen, what what have you taken? What have you taken out of the last three months? And how how you want to live your life, or how, how you want to live your life with it with your boys? We because you know we've we've gone into lockdown. Um, I've done a really. I've made a concerted effort to push uh, shopping locally, uh, just trying to work with all the local suppliers. And it's, you know what's been amazing? You know, the butcheries, the green grocers, the cafes that have just turned into like doing ration boxes. My friends who have organic farms and butcheries, they're experiencing Christmas-like sales yeah. for months. They can't keep up. So we've started a charcoal company. We make it, it's all about looking after British woodlands, woodlands that pays the woodlands that stays. And if you look after and coppice properly and take out, you know, the, the under, under trees and then open up the canopy, you, you encourage wildlife. We can't keep up with demand. We, we put our stock lists up at um, six, six o'clock in the afternoon. We sell out within 20 minutes. People are at home. People are cooking out. They're experiencing, they're, they're, they're looking to, to support more local. And I think that's a great way to go is trying to keep everything local and community and build from within. And then hopefully we can help look after the rest of the planet. And, um, but I think it all starts local. Yeah, that's a, a great point. I, I, I had a good chat. I interviewed Sean Lee a couple of weeks ago. I love that woman. I love Sean. By the Everyone way, I, I, I watched Ed woo that woman. Did you? I, I was with him when he had his when he hooked up with her for the first time. And I, I think was she dead. I think she ate some dried apricots and she uh farted a lot and she she realized how bad she was and then she she tried to cover his nose when he was asleep in case he woke up to the smell. And then of course he thinks she's trying to like you know stop him from breathing, which she was. Oh, that's such a beautiful love story. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was love at first sight after that, or first smell, right? <laughs> I was, I was, I was in, that was in Marybelle. I was around there then that time. Yeah, it was. But she, um, yeah, I think that, that, that all, the, the chat I had with her all ties in with this sustainability, eating healthily, um, eating stuff that doesn't have loads of hormones in it, that isn't genetically modified, that's oh. sustainable, that's local. Um, and you know that that's that's something that's coming up in this bill because of, of with, with Brexit, with us leaving, it's coming up imminently that with the trade deal, if it goes ahead, that we will be importing all sorts of stuff that doesn't comply with UK, the current UK and EU. We've got amazing food standards, and yeah. that's one of the re- true awesome things about Brexit, you know, and cleaner beaches, you know, people, you know, are mad about Europe. Um, but we've, we've got great laws because of the European union. You know, we've got a, we've got much better environment because of the European union, they keep saying yeah. about fishing rights. We sold those rights a long time ago. Fuck you guys and your fishing right arguments. I'll, I'll destroy any of that. Um, yeah, it's easy going against the Brexit. You can destroy them pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry for all my friends who voted Brexit, but fuck you. Fuck. Um, what was the question, Dave? <laughs> How do you see that whole sustainability? Um, you know, it's, it's clearly to me the way forward, getting away from this mass production. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, I, I support British high welfare 
um, you know, beef, pork, and it's it's phenomenal. But I, I pay a bit extra for it. But I know how we raise our animals, and if we bring in those coordinated chickens and the pigs in America, oh my lord, you do not want that pork over here. Um, it's it's going to be to our own detriment. Genetically modified foods. You, you go to supermarkets in America. That's got the, the bread's got like a two or three week shelf life date. You know, just full of e numbers. I mean. How is that good for you? There's no nutrients going into your body. Sean's right. You know, you got to eat well to to feel well. Mm-hmm. And if we take away these these standards um, just to bring in cheap imports, I mean, I understand. You know, how do you feed the poor? But it also says a lot about your country the way they they look after their poor. And America does not look after their poor. And what is the UK? I mean, we do okay with it, but we can do a lot better. But it, we have to keep our food standards at a higher level. We have to do better. And we were so, I mean, Boris, to me, is Trump 2.0. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a worry if that gets through. We're, it's a worry. It's a real it's, backward step, isn't it? Gares me. So how do you, how do you see um, DJ Barbecue developing? What do, what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? Make money the, while I'm years? sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Oliver told me that. I know I know um Dizzy Rascal told me to quit name dropping, as did Paul McCartney a while back when I used to hang out with him. Anyway, uh I, th- th- this joke is Moran's. I run Chris Moran's joke <laughs> nonstop, man. Um what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> it was how do, what, how do you see DJ Barbecue developing? What do you want to achieve with it? Over the writing next? books, writing pensions, doing barbecue rubs, trying to empower people. Uh, I talked, I send videos to people all the time. Like, cause I get DM'd a lot, you know, like I said, 24 times a day and I just talk to them. I try to help them be better backyard cooks and inspire people, empower people. And if I can make people happy and put a smile on their face and give them, listen, quickest way to someone's heart is through their stomach and through their ears. So good food, good music, good times. You're going to feel better. So that's my mission, to give people good times with good food and good music. That's DJ Barbecue. And then if they buy my rubs and my books, then then I can pay for that way of doing it. (laughs) And and just a few few last questions, Christian. So- you talked a bit about your own mental health. How, how do you manage that? How do you stay on top of that to keep your, to keep your shit straight? Coffee. <laughs> okay. That, that's how I start the day. And that kind of, I don't know, man. I, um, it doesn't always work. I, I, I always spiral. I do tend to spiral. You know, I had, a, I had a fall recently. I was tired the other night and I could tell the heat was on and I knew – I'm in the top floor of the house and I knew the sun would be coming up and I'd be sweating my balls off. So I, I, I fell asleep and oh my God, it's Peter Gabriel with Book of Love. Alexa, I know. <laughs> do, have you seen the South Park episode about um, Craig and Tweak uh, be, be, possibly being gay? No, no. I'll have to Google that. Google Book of Love. By Peter Gabriel, South Park. Oh, my kids haven't seen South Park before, so we're rinsing it every night. That's why we're up. We do an hour and a half uh, from like 4 till 5.30 in the morning on South Park. That's, that's why we're up all night. And that came on last week, and it is beautifully done, okay? Sorry, what was the question? I'm going to check that out. My question was, how do you 
look after yourself? How do you look after your mental health? And okay, yeah, you, you so were I, saying you had you had a fall. You, you had a fall. I had a slip. I felt I slipped down one of the stairs and knocked the back of my head on my banister. I was tired. I had my socks on. Slipped on the stairs, carpets. You know how it happens. And it slowed me down for a week. I was my brain wasn't right the next day. Frazier found me on the stairs. No had way. to watch me because you know I had a concussion. And um, I went from a super high, you know, all over our social media to this kind of, oh, my God, uh, I'm, I need to slow down here. You know, I, just, I took a knock to the head. I'm tired. I got I to gotta look after my, my own health. Sorry. Ugh. Um, and it took about four or five days to get my head right. Um, and I think I put a shout out on my Instagram. Like, you know, I've, I've had a bit of a blue Monday. I took a shot to the head. Oh my Lord, the amount of support I had. And cause I think people were happy. I was trying to help them out just with my antics. And all of a sudden I had my down moment and, they, and everybody was there for me, you know, total strangers, all my friends. I mean, everybody reached out to me and it was, it was so heartwarming and it felt good. Cause I try to give so much myself. And then when it, and I, I never expected anything back. And then all of a sudden it just came back you know, like a tsunami of just love and support. And I was like, oh my God. Well, your your persona, everything from your presenting work, your radio work, your DJ barbecue, it's all fun guy. It's all happy guy. It's all like- yeah. <laughs> We have down moments exhausting. too. Yeah, we yeah. We have well, down moments too. So what, you, you felt a big relief when you were vulnerable about it, when you opened yeah. up. Was that, new, was that new to you? Yeah, I've- I don't, I don't, I mean, I wear my heart on my sleeve, you know, uh, and I do tell people everything, but I've tried to be really, really positive, you know, and just so I can try to elevate everybody. And then all of a sudden I had this down moment and, uh, and then I, and I was honest and I said, okay, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm having a blue Monday. And then yeah, everybody's like, yeah, we all do, you know, everybody's going through it. And I think it was good for people to see that I am, I'm not always up. You yeah. know, you, you think is if you're always up, you don't know what up is anymore. You know, you need the peaks and troughs. Sorry. Um, sorry, the phone just, uh, this phone is running out of juice. Um, you need those peaks and troughs to make you appreciate the highs. If you're, you know, that's yeah. why it's about balance and, you know, well, you know that. If you don't, if you're up all the time, you don't know what up is anymore. If you're down all the time, you know, you, you just get in this rut. So you need those peaks and troughs you want a good balance of peaks and troughs so you can feel better when you hit them does that make sense yeah it does make sense and i, and I think i love the i love the did fact you call that the rspca dave did you called because these these swans are looking sick dude if i, I should take a screen grab of them <sighs> i haven't done a push-up and i don't know how long i think i've done 30 this whole lockdown are you looking how how are you getting through lockdown? How are you dealing with it? You got three well, daughters. You're recently divorced. Not that recently. How long have you been divorced? Um, two years. Okay. Yeah. I was yeah, 20. Mad. I left in the 2014. And then, uh, yeah, it's all pretty recent. Yeah, two years really to get all that shit signed and stuff. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I mean, my music stuff just dropped off. Um, just stopped, obviously, any live events. The stuff I do out in the Alps all just stopped. Um, so I've been doing quite a bit of coaching. I, I retrained as a life coach and I did a counseling level two and level three course. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So Dave. through been, yeah, I've been, been sort of 
brought to my knees, I sort of went on this retraining exploration, if you like. So I've been really getting into that and and doing doing quite a bit of coaching on Zoom. Okay. Um, which has been great. Doing this podcast, spreading the word, um, and been open. You know, been been open and sort of talking this conversation. Yeah, yeah. About oh, talking about your feelings, man. Talk about talking listening, about your and, and listening and listening. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 getting out to particularly to men. I think that it's okay. It's healthy. It's good to do this because, like you said, everyone everyone struggles. Yeah, you know, it's up and down, and to be to be honest and vulnerable, it's a, it's a way for me as well of, of deepening friend, friendships. You know, you, you get past the superficial shite and actually, like you said, I'm having a blue Monday or whatever that, you know, help me out here. And, and people do, people do, like you, even strangers reaching out, showing you some support and, yeah. and, and friends and family do as well. Bro, I'm going to send you a bunch of these messages I get from these these dads and moms because i I'm, I'm i'm part of this frollo community it's about a single parenting community um and uh there's a lot you know there's a lot of you know dads and moms in there. there's a lot of moms that are full-time parents you know i'm mm-hmm. uh and i'm a full-time parent and we support each other and, and i've taken over their community instagram talk about you know what it's like to be a full-time single dad um and you you support Support these single moms. I try to support everybody, man. I support the dad, support the moms, you know. <laughs> Good man. Uh, and yeah, just and I think that community has helped a lot and t- reaching out there and having a voice over there. And, you know, it's, it's not easy being a parent and it's definitely not easy being a single parent because, you know, you don't, you, you got to rely on you and your kids to just to get through it. So, you know, what you and I have gone through, divorce sucks, but man, I'm happy. I'm the happiest I've been in a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. Well, because I don't, I, don't, I don't have someone putting me down anymore. Tell me, I feel, telling me that I'm worthless. I, I, do, I, I got told that for years. Mm. You do nothing for this family. You are worthless. And I'm like, man, I'm working really hard. I'm doing school runs. I'm cleaning. Why am I worthless? I'm not worthless, but I got told mm. that. By my ex-wife, yeah, you know, she put me down, and I, it, it, and it made me feel down. And getting away from that, let me get up again, and that's the most important thing for me and my kids. And to be, a, I, I told my kids when I left, and it was the hardest thing I ever did. I have to leave to be a better dad. You know, oh, it's the worst. No, Dan, they're all crying. I'm like, oh god, and I left, and I'm like, what have I done? Because mm. I should have done it a long time ago, and I. You know, I lived in the basement a lot for, you know, last year and stuff and just to be there for the kids. And then I'm like, I'm not happy. So if I'm not happy, how am I, I going to raise my kids to be happy, you know, positive, well-balanced children? I got to get out of here and do this again. Mm-hmm. And I did. And you did. You, you, you got up and moved on. And I think that's probably what you did too. Yeah, I, I'm... I feel like I'm getting there, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's going. tough. Tough yeah. going. It's brutal. My, but the key for me is don't talk to the ex. Because <laughs> it only gets me bummed out. That's a top tip. <laughs> I have so many friends who are going through the recent divorces and they keep talking to them and they, are they, are they come, oh man, 
they're so, they get so angry. And I go, I know I I've gone, I've spiraled in those conversations. The thing is, just try to be diplomatic and have l- as little conversation as possible, unless you have that amazing relationship with that ex-partner. I don't, especially because she stole my life savings. <laughs> yeah. There's not, there's not many people in, who, who seem to, to manage to do it that well. It, it, yeah. it tends to get better. <laughs> How are you doing with it all? Yeah, good. I'm good. You know, I'm getting through it. It's just such a strange time with everything going on with 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 COVID and yeah. work and. But I'm good. I'm I'm staying staying positive and yeah. yeah. Okay. Do you get along with your ex? I, I wouldn't say get along, but I think time will time will help with that. Time will heal. It's all times about a, the kids. It's all times about- a great times a great healer, and it is all about the kids. But sometimes they still get the fact that you have to look after them gets muddled in the fact that you get you, there's that bitterness between you and the animosity between you and the ex and mm. we're all kids in these bodies. That's the problem. It's called with our own, with our own foibles and our own idiosyncrasies. And that sounded like Matt Barr, right? I, I, I did some big words because Matt Barr, our buddy, does we look sideways. He has a pocket thesaurus going all the time. I have to carry a pocket thesaurus to understand half the damn things he says. He is our most intelligent of friends, isn't he? He's a clever boy. He put us together, didn't he? He did, he did. Yeah. (laughs) So listen, Christian, thank you for, yeah, being open and honest and uh, for our conversation. I appreciate it. How are you, folks? Um, I wanted to come back on at the end of uh, this episode just to say a big thank you to Christian for being so open and honest during our conversation. But more importantly, I wanted to address something that I think I screwed up on. In, in fact, I know I screwed up on. Towards the end of the conversation, Christian asked me how I was doing. And I wasn't expecting the question. And it sort of threw me. And I realized afterwards that I'd given him the standard conditioned social response that's sort of ingrained in all of us you know i'm grand you know I, I, it's been tough but i'm getting through it and been positive and that wasn't the honest answer and um and it just i felt afterwards that it's not good enough for me to 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 reply like that especially when i'm inviting guests on and asking them to be honest about how they're feeling and to talk about difficult times they've been through and to discuss, you know, how they're really coping or how they're not coping. And I have to be willing to be honest and, and vulnerable myself. And I wasn't there. So I'm I'm back to sort of address that and um and give the honest answer. So um yeah, the honest answer is that I haven't been coping particularly well um for the last three weeks. It's the eighteenth of June and I've found it really really difficult recently um life's taken on this quite surreal quality to it i think a lot of people are are feeling that and struggling with that um the way we lived our lives has changed so much in such a short space of time that it's taken a lot of uh, adjusting to um i've been getting used to divorced life and not seeing my three daughters as much as I'd as as I'd like to, and so that stirred stirred up all sorts of stuff on top of this new 
uh, sort of environment we're living in. The isolation of of lockdown and, and not being able to socialize. I, you know, we're all social creatures and I desperately need interactions with people and having a bit of crack and, and you know, a laugh with people. And that's largely dried, dried up. Um, I've been incredibly lucky to have my dog, Paddy, who's been keeping me company. And dogs have this incredible positive energy um, and just live in the now. They, they're, they're, they're always oblivious to any drama, any problems. There are no problems. Um, it, you just take, take life as it is and be happy for it. He's been really helpful. But I've also found the lack of structure to the days and um, it just all seems to blend into into Groundhog Day recently. I think um, my sister is a nurse, a frontline nurse, bless her, uh, down here in Brighton. And she was she tested positive three weeks ago and two of her kids tested positive as well. So she was really ill for quite quite a, a while and, and is still recovering. But it meant that I had to go into two weeks of self-isolation towards the end of lockdown, which was pretty, pretty brutal. Um, and also economically, I mean, there's that uncertainty for everyone on how the global economy is going to respond. There's a sense that there is going to be pretty difficult global recession over the next couple of years. And... I run two businesses. I run a music agency that brings bands and DJs out to the French Alps, the ski resorts, and also to Nice, and also to events, corporate and weddings in in the UK. And that's largely fallen off a cliff, you know, midway through March. And unfortunately, because I'm a limited company, I'm one of these people who fall through the gaps in terms of getting government support. Uh, it's been really, really tough financially. So uncertain times, it's difficult to cope with, especially for people uh, like myself who, who suffer with anxiety and have had depression. It's it's testing times. And I've made a conscious decision to to lean into friends and, and talk about it and discuss that. And I think that's been the most helpful thing because really no one has any answers at the moment. No one can tell you it's going to be grand. It's just bizarre, uncertain times. And the more support uh, I've found that I can lean into, the, the easier I, I, I've, I've found it to deal with. So there is my honest answer, Christian Stevenson. It's been shite, but onwards and upwards. Um yeah, and, and also we've got, you know, there is an awful lot to be grateful for, which I can be pretty shite at, at times. We, I am a white, privileged, middle-class man living, I've got my house, I live in Hove, I live by the sea, I have lo lots of food, I have my three daughters, I've got my family, you know, all of this stuff is is something I'm really trying to appreciate and um, I find that helpful. So, yeah, there's my honest answer, Christian, and apologies for not giving it to you first time. 
must do better, will do better. Anyway, moving onwards and upwards for the next episode of the podcast, I'm having a conversation with Shalini Sakira, who's a really interesting and talented woman that I I got to know when we studied on our coaching course up in London a couple of years ago. She is a lawyer, a corporate lawyer, or she was a corporate lawyer. She's an executive coach now and an activist, um, particularly in the, the BAME community and for women. And she's a mother of two boys. She's lots of interesting and informed opinions on what's been unfolding around the world recently. So I'm I'm excited to do that one. And that's one to listen out for in the next couple of weeks. Um, so there we have it. Until next time, take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.